Hey listeners, this is your Escape from Plan A for this week. We have a great podcast for you with Joe Wong. Just wanted to drop a quick note because we had an audio problem at about the 35-40 minute mark. It sh- does. I don't think it affects the uh, listenability of the podcast. And uh, we do have backup recordings, um, but they're lower in quality. So you'll notice a change in audio quality in Joe's track uh, at around the 35-40 minute mark. It's not your Bluetooth connection. It's nothing like that. Um, it shouldn't affect the um, uh, listenability of the podcast, but just wanted to drop a note um, because you're going to notice um, a bit of a change in, in, in the quality of his audio at around that mark. Escape from Plan A. Hey. Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Escape from Plan A. I'm your host Diana and today we are joined by Teen. Hello. And our very special guest of honor, um, comedian Joe Wong. Hello. Hi, Diana. Hi, Teen. Joe Wong. Wow. It's an honor, man. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's, yeah, it's fun for me to be here, too. You're the highest, you're, you're like the classiest guest I think we've ever had. So, the- <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank nobody you so else, much. Yeah. Nobody else could pull off a bow, bow tie. so joe uh is back in la correct yes just got Uh, back in la awesome that's awesome and um do you want to talk about like the projects that you're working on now yeah i'm trying to get a uh, talk show going um it's been on the table for a long time and uh we got some funding one day and then the funding disappears the next day so uh you know it hasn't been smooth sailing but uh i'm still trying i saw i saw you tweet about that joe and i was like see this is the difference (laughs) between like a professional and like us was you're like going out trying to round up investors you're like trying to do this and we're uh, my mic microphone barely works like we just (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when we saw that we were oh, yeah. like i don't know we just we, we just jump on our computers and just talk to each other like in a phone call and then call it a day so i was like okay that's a different level Very yeah good. that's probably what i should do you know i sometimes i got too hung up with uh you know the quality of the recording uh the jokes you know the jokes has to be good you know there should be a writing team you know maybe that's not necessary um who knows yeah (laughs) but i'm still trying yeah i hear you yeah what's the so is that in pro is that is that in works right now um this it's like i I guess it's going to be like an online based talk show yes that's what i'm shooting for because there's so few asian american voices online right now um Mm -hmm. and uh i want to have voices but i also want to have like videos so people that can actually see uh, the people I'm interviewing or talking to. So that that was the idea. Hey, Joe, can I ask can I ask you a question? Yeah, of <laughs> course, team. Yeah. Uh, do you can cons- how do, how famous do you feel? Oh, um, like in general, do you ever? Is it something that you like think about? Uh, generally speaking, like oh, I'm kind of famous, uh, <laughs> you know, or oh, you, no, no. Here's the thing: I was saying that uh, I'm a perfect example of somebody 
who becomes a washup before he really get big. You know, <laughs> so I have <laughs> I have a certain level of fame, but not not that much. So. Because famous, uh, there's a lot of luck in it. You know, I would say luck is probably eighty percent of of fame. Uh, I've been doing stand-up comedy for so many years. I've seen a lot of great comedians who are really funny, but they're not that famous. All right, um, right. Yeah, just. Well, let me ask you: Do you feel like the level of exposure that you can um, gain mm-hmm. nowadays is just completely? different from it was like even three or four years ago because of social media and um these like tailored like individual um like listening or watching experiences like by Mm -hmm. spotify or netflix it's just like there's so much it just seems to me like everything is so democratized now and there's so much different content but it's not like there's like you know one channel that goes to everything to everyone yeah i definitely feel that and uh uh, with social media uh like people don't always get uh they don't always look for humor in the comedian anymore because a lot lot of comedians they do other stuff to attract people um so that's it's kind of a different game uh, but still, for me, um, I've done the stand-up comedy game. Um, I toured. I did uh, TV shows and stuff. Um, but now, ideally, if I can uh, have a platform or a show uh, to talk about things that don't get covered on mainstream media, that would be great. Um just like in Andrew Ang's case, you know, Andrew has a lot of solutions. You know, if you go to his website, it's filled with uh, solutions for different problems, but nobody really cares. Very few people actually read them. All they care about is the soundbite uh, or what the mainstream media feed them. So it is important to have a media for Asian Americans to have their own voice, kind of like... Um, African Americans have BET or uh, Hispanics have uh, Telemundo, but for when it comes to Asian Americans, there is no uh, nationally recognized media platform. So that's the that's the problem. Um, I think there were, there are were a couple of uh, podcasts that are getting more and more popular, uh, including uh, your your you guys, uh, but still uh, there there needs to be more. I feel. Oh, we're we're not very popular at all. Uh, we, oh, okay. The, yeah, that, that's why people I'm who listen. To no. <laughs> but are any of them no. like are any of them like rationally recognized? Like, I don't think so. Yeah, podcast. Uh, no, I mean, how? Yeah, no, so. not podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I mean, even okay. um, yeah. But what's the Joe? What what? Why do you feel urgency in that? Like, what what is it specifically about having an Asian American oh. platform of national prominence? Why does that matter to you? Oh, there there are two reasons. One is a very personal reason. Um, after I got on the Letterman show about ten years ago, I got a lot of interviews uh, from you know. New York Times, Washington Post, all the way to uh, different uh, networks. Um, I brought up the fact that, you know, Asian Americans are being ignored and, you know, we're a, a voiceless minority group. Like, I pretty much talk about this every time I talk to a reporter. 
but they never got reported. Um, I mean, I, I personally uh, don't like Donald Trump and his attack on liberal media, but liberal media themselves uh, definitely have their own agenda, and they they only report what they want to report instead of report what they hear or what they saw. So. Um, you know, that's why it's important to have uh, a separate media outlet uh, for for minorities, for uh, opinions that don't quite fit into the mainstream media agenda, I guess. Right. So I guess what you're saying there is that our interests um, are not, as an ethnic minority group in America, are not necessarily served by the liberal media, even though they claim to. Um, be on the side of the, you know, underrepresented, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that yeah. Kind of, um, uh, just to make things clear, I attack liberal media only because uh, at least we have a hope with the liberal media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have any hope with Fox News, to be sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. But as, as hard as media, liberal media tried, they would never get uh, what uh, a lot of minorities think. They would never mm-hmm. get it. Minorities has yeah. have to have our own voices, and this is mm-hmm. a, uh, something that Hollywood only learned in the past three years. They only learned uh, uh, f- like three or four years ago that oh, only Asian Americans can en- understand or s- or speak for Asian Americans. It wasn't mm-hmm. the case in the past, and uh, and to a, to a certain extent, it's still the case now. For example, when Jay Leno made this lame joke about uh, Korean Americans. No one around was Asian, but everybody has an opinion. Oh, uh, you know, this is offensive or that's not offensive to Asians. Then nobody bothers to well, ask I mean, that, a, a, when an that Asian happened, person. The you know? only person who spoke up in defense of Asian mm-hmm. Americans was Gabrielle Union, who herself is an underrepresented minority. So it's like and she got yes. fired for it, right? She got fired what? for it. Yeah. What, what was the What was the joke, by the way? I mean, I heard it's about a, the story, but it's like, about I Asians. Even... It's about Asians eating dogs, basically. It's a really you know oh, lame Lennon. joke. It's a bad yeah. joke. Um, I yeah yeah. It's uh, I, I'm offended on two on two levels, both as a comedian and as an Asian person. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> um, yeah. No, like if you go back and look at old Jay Leno uh, shows, they're full. Like anytime they talk about China, it's eating dogs. It's like they're all the writers are so goddamn lazy, you know. No, I I personally (laughs) think Jay Leno Leno. has a specific. He, I think he has a specific thing about Asian people that I actually wrote about before. Oh really? Uh, But we'll we'll go into that some other time. Well, that's neither here nor there. But what's the second? I know you. uh, That was the first thing, and I and um. I totally see that, but what was the second? There was a second part to your answer about why you think oh. it's important to have um, Asian media platforms. Yeah, uh, the second part is uh, it's not that personal. It's uh, on a probably bigger level, a higher level. Uh, it's because there's no Asian American narrative right now. Because uh, uh, if you talk about uh, African Americans, everybody knows their history, their background. Uh, if you talk about like the Jewish people, everybody knows their history, their stories. But when you talk about Asian Americans, very few, very few people know or learn about the, the railroads, uh, the exclusion act, the concentration camps. Uh, for some reason, Asian American narratives are just not that strong. 
uh, it's very hard to find in history books, and that's that's uh, that's why I think that there should be more people talk about the history or uh, books written about it or uh, shows and movies about it. Um, that that's why there's uh, it's really important to have an Asian American media outlet, mm-hmm. and uh, another reason. Uh, I liked Andrew Yang is uh, what New York Times wrote about him. You know, he is part of Asian American political narrative now. At least there is a story now. You know, if a, if a race or a nationality doesn't have a narrative, it's just like a person who doesn't have any personal stories. You know, people are not going to remember you. Do you think that's done on purpose? Uh, know, oh, 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 yeah, of course. There's, you know, like, he's not even the first Asian American to run for president. Oh, he's you know? not? And there's, there's, no, um, oh, who was it? <coughs> Bobby Somebody, Jindal. Yes, but before But, oh, but that, I'd rather forget about that. I think there was another, there might have been someone else, but they're all running on the Republican side. Andrew Yang's the yeah. first one to run on the Dem- for the Democrats. Oh, yeah. interesting. And technically, Kamala's also an Asian American Oh, that's candidate. right. Um, But there was this guy from, I think he was from Hawaii, who ran in the 50s. And he was Japanese, of Japanese Uh descent. And he was running for the Republican ticket. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't know that. Nobody knows that, you know? Andrew Yang, Hmm. like, he's technically the third, third person, third Asian American to run for. Candidate. Yeah, yeah. It's like how Jeremy Lin was uh, was only the second uh, starting point guard of Asian American descent for the New York Knicks. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, me like, oh, he's the second. Oh, I see. Um, That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Joe, like when you say platform, like you talk about BET and Telemundo, yeah. um, Univision, Telemundo. Yeah. Okay, so there's actually two for Latin Americans. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, uh, you don't you don't mean just one show. Like, you mean oh. you want to start a channel? Is that is that it? Oh, yeah, that that's that's the ideal. But I'm not a business person, unfortunately. So I could only try to work on one thing. You know. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that is way different than just like. Recording podcast in our, in our <laughs> or we could we could have a, a a podcast, just a collection of Asian American voices in this podcast. <laughs> what, when did you, Joe? When you did know. you start thinking about this kind of stuff? Because mm-hmm. um, I've noticed that, like, when I first heard of you a long time ago, I think way back was it. 2010 when he did the that was a pretty big job for a comedian right is the white house correspondence dinner oh that's yeah. like a yeah. that's a pretty marquee event um actually i'm curious how you got invited to do it um because it was uh it was a it was a runaway success and i remember the whole room i i never seen the white house correspondence dinner um be sort of unified in its approval of the <laughs> Of the entertainment because usually oh, yeah. Um, yeah i mean it was the scene of where essentially like trump's uh origin story was at that one where obama called him out as being a you know crazed conspiracy theorist and stuff but mm-hmm. yeah going back to 2010 um but, the, but the, i did feel that like when i watched it it, it was a very different uh joe wong <laughs> and there was a more there was it was a, a very different time i feel 2010 yeah 
Oh yeah, and the Joe Wong that I know now is primarily through your Twitter account, which is pretty angry. It's pretty based, (laughs) and I I like and I like the Twitter account a lot. Um, Okay, thanks. So there seems to have been a shift between Joe Wong of 2010 and Joe Wong of now. And did does your does this set feeling of urgency around Asian Americans sort of you know uh, platforming our voices? Did that track that? Is there has there been a change, and was that tracking that change at all? Yeah, there's a big change since uh, uh, Donald Trump came to office, and uh, especially uh, after April 2018, uh, you know, the news broke out uh, about all the immigrant kids being put in cages. Uh, that kind of shook my belief in America to the core. Um, I was like, this is, this is not the American, uh, I believed, I believed in basically. And, um, America has lost this moral, moral high ground. And, uh, I just don't think that America has the right to criticize anyone, any other country about anything. Um, because this, uh, such a cruelty and racism can happen on a modern day in America just proves that America really doesn't, it's not a beacon of hope anymore. Um, there's so many things that we have to, uh, fight and we have to speak out about. So, uh, and, um, I used to try to avoid these subjects in my comedy, like racism, stereotypes, and, uh, even just outright uh, evilness, uh, because I just feel that it's very easy for comedians to joke about their ethnicity uh, but gradually over the years I feel that you know there's not enough Asian Americans who are speaking out about these stereotypes and racism uh, and it's not going away by not talking about them it's just getting stronger um, after Donald Trump came to came to office after he took office I remember it was like the uh, uh, and like hatred toward Asian Americans went up by like three folds or something. It's just just pretty crazy. So I just feel that the old way of uh, just doing humor for humor's sake is just not going to work anymore. Yeah, that's what I I've noticed too. Um, mm-hmm. Is that there's a lot of Asian American comedians who kind of. Uh, objectify themselves in their comedy. You know, mm-hmm. they talk about Asianness and they make their Asianness the butt of every single joke, or you mm-hmm. know, like another person's Asianness. And yeah. there's never a there's never um critique. You know, there's never like the kind of like actually edgy, like the punchy. You know, like punching up social mm-hmm. critique that like great mm. comedy um yeah. yeah that's what's missing is made actually. of yeah <laughs> and like um i think this is something that we talk about a lot on the pod is that like there should be more of that right because as asian americans a lot mm-hmm. of us are kind of like white adjacent and adjacent <laughs> to you yeah. know like the power uh and we're, and, we're, like, a lot of us a, are very happy about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's like we we can get that um, seat at the table and we can see all this shit and we should we should tell everyone. 
right? What we mm-hmm. see. That oh, would yeah. be very, very powerful. And there's yeah. not a lot. There's not a lot of uh, comedians that are doing that, that are Asian American. But you are one of them. So that's why, oh, well, that's why I, I'm, I'm not doing nearly <laughs> enough. Uh, uh, if you watch uh, Ronnie Chang's recent uh, Netflix special, I think he he's doing some of that too. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, kind of, I think there are a lot of um, Asian Americans have very strong opinions about uh, these subjects. However, the camera is not is not pointed at them. You know, that's the problem. You know, every every weekend you watch CNN or MSNBC. There are a lot of these talking heads, but almost none of them are Asian. You know, so the Asian voice is definitely missing in a lot of places. You know, it's not it's not even that it's missing. It's that yeah. a lot of the the ones that are out there. They're yeah. actually all right, you know, like if you see like the YouTube Asians, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that are actually like popular on YouTube, a lot of the ones that actually have a political opinion, yeah, it's it's not a good opinion, you know, it's, oh, really? it's not Wait, really are you, a good Diana, good are you look. talking about comedians or just sort of in general, no. like an Andy No type? Yeah, I mean like um, just, just personalities, like um, Zach Hing is a big one he's like what 19 years old and he just like posts uh youtube rants but they're all like really sexist and racist i though i would say as a non-comedian just sort of like what i I just as a consumer of it Mm -hmm. i I actually would um and i'm curious what y'all think about this but between the netflix specials of um ronnie and um um uh ali wong I feel like those are the most commercially successful Asian American like special, not just, sorry, not just the most successful Asian American Netflix specials for comedy, but among the most hyped up ones, you know, of of their entire lineup. And they don't objectify themselves the way, um, like I was not a fan of the Ken Jong one, to be perfectly honest, though I know he's a, he's a, he's a good guy in the industry and stuff, but Mm -hmm. I felt that he was, sort of doing this obsolete let's bust on Asians kind of thing and and let's what what is up with the Asians uh, all this stuff <laughs> but Ali Wong came out and gave I thought some pretty pointed comedic critiques of feminism mm-hmm. um, in America from a woman's perspective and specifically from an Asian woman's perspective and I thought Ronnie Chang his entire special was about how this fobby Asian dude doesn't know what the fuck is going on in America and you need an Asian president to fix your shit was basically the to the yes the the, yeah, the, the backbone of that of that routine and, and it was a strong I mean he's a strong assertive dude mm-hmm. on stage yeah. and I felt that he was met he's going to be met with more popular success commercial success than the Ken Jong style of you know busting on yourself which I thought nah, not a lot of people really responded or liked that that special mm-hmm. which I thought was a positive thing in in a way. I don't know how you if you're seeing the same trend, but I feel like it's a very positive trend in my in my opinion, especially at a time when you had Andrew Yang out there running for president with a lot of non-white oh, oh. support. Yeah, I have no I I totally agree. I think it's uh so far 2019 has turned out to be a great year for Asian Americans, you know. We got Ali Wong, you know, Arani Chang, 
uh, Andrew Yang is running for president. You know, the movie Farewell is getting awards. It's a it's a pretty uh, a, a fruitful year by any standards. Um, but I think there, yeah, like what you said, there should be more of these more progressive. Asian comedic, comic, yeah, comedic voices, and also just any voice that's more progressive and has、uh, a lot of social value in it.、Uh, right now,、uh, the problem I feel is、uh, whenever the media sees an Asian person, they will only ask him about things or questions relating to Asians or Asia. Uh, not questions in general, you know. So that needs to be changed as well. Because Asian Americans has opinions on issues that's not just about Asians, right? Yeah, for for sure. Yeah, in the same way,、yeah. like a lot of times,、mm-hmm. women comedians will only be、yeah. asked about, you know, like what did you think of, you know, the Louis C.K. scandal? Yeah,、uh, yeah. instead of their own work, you know, or yeah. like,、mm-hmm. yeah,、uh, they'll be asked about their hair. And fashion、mm-hmm. instead of anything that's relevant to what they care about. So it's yeah, it's just it's it's very similar. I mean, basically anybody who's not a white man will get some sort of、um, stereotypical treatment,、mm-hmm. and that all needs to change. It's a real shame because some of the the probably the the Twitter accounts I like the most when it comes to two things like、um, stuff like stuff like deficit spending or. Criminal justice reform are are women, and、um, mm-hmm. I would say I'm not a support. I'm not a lover of Andrew Yang's platform. I have my reasons for not liking it, but I do. I'm happy that he's running. I like him as a person. I like him as a candidate, and I don't be like I,、oh, you know.、Yeah. And I think that he is offering. You know, the thing he brings to the table is something unique. I mean, no one else is pushing it, and I think that's probably for the benefit of. Of everyone, that you have someone out there that's, you know, willing to take a sort of novel position, and、uh, sort of this practical, practically minded Asian dude coming saying like, "Look, I'm an Asian guy. I, I don't. I think I think Ronnie Chang had it right. He's like, I'm neither white nor black. And、uh, there, I mean, there's things about this role that I don't like. But look, that that, that it is what it is. I'm not white. I'm not black. You can trust me.、Uh, <laughs> I've thought about this." Yeah,、um, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think that def,、uh, that's that's a great point. You know, I always feel that in entertainment, a lot of Asians are kind of imitating the black culture. In in the professional world, Asians kind of follow the white culture. You know, it's like、uh, maybe we should go with Hispanic culture. <laughs> no, just kidding. Oh.、Uh, Uh, just so yeah, I watched some of the interviews that Andrew Yang did with、uh, different talk shows. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes the, those talk show hosts just jumps all over him, you know. But、uh, I kind of admire the fact that、uh, Andrew Andrew Yang is so calm and collected. You know, sometimes if I was thinking if I were in that situation, I might just got upset and <laughs> start to argue with them. But he's pretty calm. He just lays out his plans, you know, his ideas. You know, he's. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, he he、mm-hmm. has to be right. He's threading a really fine needle. Right.、Mm-hmm. Like、yeah. if you're not like that, then you're you're. He wouldn't have made it this far if he wasn't the way he is. You know.、Mm-hmm. So it's like whatever you think about his political views, like, 
that's this is what the expectations of this country have produced is if you want somebody to make it this far as the you know first um culturally recognized i would say asian american presidential candidate Mm -hmm. this is what you're gonna get sorry but for andrew yang i mean let's be real like the only reason that he's considered you know the non-white candidate is because he has an asian face but like he went to like Phillips Exeter. He went to like the Ivy. Yeah, I think he went to like Brown or something. He went to like Columbia Law. Yeah. I mean, he he spent his entire mm-hmm. career among elite white people on the East Coast. He pretty much understands them. I think he pretty much holds similar values to them. Like for all intents and purposes, for, in my opinion, he's kind of like a white dude, except he's the Asian dude, and so he kind of understands a little bit about the racial exclusion stuff, but. It's interesting. He's he's an example of how, you know, as an Asian person, there's a racial barrier that you just cannot assimilate past. And so despite the fact that yeah. he's like Exeter, ex, you know, educated, he's like Ivy League educated, mm-hmm. like all of the whitest of white elite schools, he's still seen as like the Asian candidate, right? And so there's just, you're just never going to get past yes. that. And I don't even know if I we want to get past that. Just, I think it's kind of, but it's an interesting thing how you say, yeah, they, they can't stop thinking of him as the outsider. You know, I'm like, he's the ultimate insider. Yeah. You know? I mean, you have the same issue with uh, Obama, right? Like, he was um, Harvard, Columbia. Like, he's about as uh, insider as you can yeah, get exactly. as well, he is. right? And yeah. he's, he's mixed race, you know, like his mom is white, like his mom's side of the family whom he grew up with for a time was white. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but he was still seen as the black candidate and he and the black president, like he never got beyond that, even as the president of the United States. I know it just it goes to show that how shallow people are, you know, they, um, one thing I noticed is that uh, when I first came to America, our school only sends Asians to pick up Asians from the airport. Um, and white people uh, pick up white people from the airport. Uh, I couldn't understand it in the beginning. I was like, do you not want to promote uh, people from different races mingle with each other? But then later on, I just feel that, I guess, Deep down, they feel that if they send a white guy to pick up, you know, minorities, the white guy might feel uncomfortable. You know, that's, it's just pretty weird. You know, it's like voluntary segregation in this country. But I guess that's the human nature. But as a person who came from a a country that has, has pretty much only one race, it's very new to me. You know, I only learned America from a distance you know, equality, uh, freedom, and democracy. So when I actually observed these stuff, and I was, you know, quite shocked and didn't know what to, what to think of it. I remember once I got a speeding ticket, and I had to go to the Houston Police Department, uh, no, the, go to the court to, um, uh, to, to uh, defend myself. I went to the court, and I just noticed that uh, all the criminals I saw that morning were neither... African American or uh, Hispanic, so I was stupid enough to actually ask the clerk. I was like, "How come all the people who are here who are accused were minorities?" And she just mm-hmm. said to me, uh, "Do you have a problem? If a problem, 
go talk to the newspaper. <laughs> wow. I guess, yeah, I guess to them, it's just that it's just such a normal everyday thing. But for me, as a new immigrant, I was like, "Wow, this is not what I learned about America." You know, so there's a really huge discrepancy there for for people to overcome as a newcomer in this country. Yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right to question that. Like, that is a pretty unsettling thing to see. And the thing is, it's not it's not like people here just um see it and are okay with it. You know, like. Everybody here knows that what is going on is antithetical to, you know, the country America's supposed ideals, right? Mm -hmm. And there yeah. is a significant amount of cognitive dissonance that you have to deal with every single day just to exist in this country, especially if you're a person of color. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, that that's. That's why it's that's why it's hard, I guess. So, Tien, uh, did you grow up here in America, or? Yeah, I was born in the U.S. Yeah, my I was the only one in my family to be born here. Oh, uh, my sister was born in Taiwan. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. see. Um, though I would say, like, you know, I I, I think that, it, like, there's no such thing as normal in America. It's it's a battleground. It's a mm -hmm. political battleground. Like. You may think that the reality represents what people feel and, you know, like, oh, how do Americans accept this? The answer is they don't. They don't accept it. It doesn't mean you can change the reality. But hmm. I think if you look at what happened from 2016 onwards, like, I feel like there's this way to interpret that to say, like, oh, my God, what happened to this country? You know, it's like the truth came out. It's like the, the way people are just saying what they really feel now. You know, I think that's the difference. Um, but nothing that people hmm. are saying are saying right now, if you go back even to you know the height of like this sort of sort of post-racial fantasy that people were living in in the 90s it was still being said back then people just weren't listening um and even through obama years people were saying the same thing and, and people weren't listening so much especially in the mainstream um and something happened i think the the center just buckled and i don't know if we're ever going to go back but you know i don't think there is a normal i think it's it's contested space it's like you know, it's cultural war, mm -hmm. and that's a very unsettling well, thing. I think I think social media had a lot to do with that. I'm sure right? it did. Yeah, like mm -hmm. before there was an official party line, there was there were these like certain mainstream media platforms, and now it's all spread out, and there's so many more perspectives. Yeah, that's why I'm I'm personally suspicious of the mainstream media's attempt to educate everyone into thinking that social media is a problem and that social media is inherently negative. And you see the New York Times coming out, you know, over and over with stories about how social media will rot your brain. I mean, it's like the same thing that we used to say about video games in like the 80s and 90s, right? It's like social media leads to depression. <laughs> it leads to social decay, at least whatever. And I'm like, that's interesting because social media, in particular Facebook, just happens to be the number one threat to the New York Times bottom line. And, you know, so like, it just makes oh, me yeah. pause for a sec to be like, why <laughs> are you attacking social media? Because it's the only, in my opinion, there is negative, there's huge negatives to it. But it is also, from our experience, Joe, doing plan A and having like, you know, that social media is absolutely critical 
uh, in my mind, in my opinion, to having gotten Asian American voices to um, to find each other, and at the same time, you're seeing these broad attacks yes. against it. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? I'm not really buying all yeah. this stuff about how Facebook is the devil. Exactly. That's、uh, one thing I noticed that's different from a couple of years before when I first、uh, started. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And the thing is, like the liberal media today. It came out of、um, like the progressive media of the sixties and seventies, right? Like back then, it was much more radical. Like you had like war correspondents reporting on Vietnam, you know, on like war crimes that America was engaging in.、Um, I think Gulf of Tonkin came out. Like that story came out, and Watergate, right? And that was those. Those were kinds of like water. The same, like it had a similar feeling、um, back then. Those kinds of stories, as like stuff we see on social media today, right? But then the progressive media was kind of like watered down and like maybe taken over by、uh, the left or like subsumed into a more、uh, rigid. Perspective and kind of like a, a it became something that it became more like a tool to uphold the status quo with a veneer of progressivism instead of actually、oh, being yeah, progressive.、Totally. They don't、like、believe it, it anymore. At least back then, I mean,、out. American exceptionalism so, was always、yes. bullshit. But at least back then, they believed it. They、mm-hmm. truly believed it, you know, and they, so they would, they would, they would advocate、right. for it, even though it was a、right. bit of a lie. But these days. They don't even believe it anymore. They like the stuff you see like being printed is like it's so clearly agenda driven, and there's a sort of like manipulative aspect to what they're doing, and it's conscious. And you know, at least back then, they, they were just naive, and <laughs> I, I feel like the liberal media was was idealistic,、mm-hmm. and it's not even idealistic anymore. It's just straight up manipulative,、um, and you can see it in the way that there's like just these. They're, like the the way that the New York Times in particular has an agenda against China, like it's not even handed about China. It's not like okay, we're going to report、yeah. the good and the bad. We're going to like we're going to be objective about what's going on in China. I don't know. I feel like there's still Asian Americans that are fooled by it. Yeah, but I, but I also feel that maybe the reason you felt it was more idealistic is because at the time.、Uh, Maybe we're more we're younger, you know. We're more naive. Maybe we just didn't detect it, you know.、Uh, who knows? Well, I also feel like now we have the the other side, right? Because before we only had the the mainstream report, but now we have another person's perspective that we see on Twitter or something like that. And so having that、um, that frame of reference makes it. Obvious that you know, for example, the New York Times is anti-China, but I think if we didn't have that, it would be different. Well, and also back then, the 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 New York Times just made money off selling ads, so they could report whatever they wanted, more or less, as long as the ad flow kept going. But these days, it's like all the newspapers are money losers, and they're owned by like Washington Post is owned by like Jeff Bezos. I mean, he's going to have an agenda. New York Times is owned by like Carlos Slim and like two other billionaires、yeah. or whatever the fuck it's owned by. They're going to have their agenda,、um, and so the media ownership landscape has totally changed. Yeah, the font and the logo is the same, but like the,、um, the you know the the 
the agenda is totally different. They're completely different beasts than they were back then. Um, and so they have different, they have agendas. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Um, I just don't know what's the agenda for LA time now. <laughs> LA <Yeah>. time. <laughs> they, were, they were bought by a Chinese lawyer, right? Or... Yeah, he was bought by that guy Frank Shung. Frank, uh, sorry, uh, that he's a writer for LA Times. I forgot the name of the of his name. Uh, I forgot his name, but he was I think he's a pharmaceutical like founder. He's from oh, the, the pharma industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the big, one of the big. I guess he's probably one of the big four. You know, um, is owned by a Chinese American. Um, so there's a platform for you right there. <laughs> LA Times is one of the better papers, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if you could do like a, you know, like a video series on the LA Times website, just like embed your face there, talk oh, five minutes yeah. a day. Yeah, that could be could be interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. Who, who wants this ugly face? You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, another topic that I, I remember you wanted we wanted to discuss was the whole Shane Gillis thing. I know it's uh, it's over, kind of. Um, but, uh, you know, but the, the cancel culture is still something that people are talking about and are complaining about, especially among comedians. Um, you know, especially a lot of white male comedians feel that um, they can't tell jokes anymore, you know. Uh, that's a very common complaint right now. So, What was your take on that, Joe? Time has changed, you know. It used to be so easy to tell jokes at the expense of uh, minorities and, and women. And uh, minorities and women used to have to just take it to be to be a, a good sport, I guess. But, but now there are so many ways to tell a joke. You know, you don't have to go there to, to tell those jokes, you know. So I think it's, it's progress. Um, it used to be that you can use Asian slurs on TV without losing your jobs, but now, you know, the guy did st some stuff on a podcast and still lost his job. So it's a it's a pretty big lesson. You know, people complain, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's that. like if if we really lived in a society where the so the ethic was anything goes, like we are a free speech society, and you can say whatever you want because we just don't believe in this political correctness nonsense. Okay, fine. I mean, like, sure, we could deal with that. But the thing for me that pisses mm -hmm. me off is that, you know, you'll get certain groups that are just, like, absolutely out of bounds. Like, you just can't, you know, like, with Kevin Hart getting fired because he had, you know, tweets had surfaced about him making jokes about his fear of his son being gay. Like, I can go either way with that. Like, I could see how that's a problem, but I can also see how that's acceptable. But, but like, nobody had a problem with the shit Chris Rock was saying about, like, Asian people, right? So it's, like, the problem for me is, like, if you're going to enforce so hard on certain things that you can't say about, like, underrepresented groups, but then somehow other groups are fair game, I'm, like, where's the rule? Like, what, what's the ethic now? How does this work other than, there's, other than just me seeing, like, oh, Asians are just fair game, and, uh, but that's, you know, whatever. And so I need consistency, you know? Yeah, you just mentioned that rule. Asians are fair game. That's not, you know, that's not a cool rule. You know, <laughs> like that. If that's the rule, which is the rule, then I'm gonna be like, no, I'm not. I can't support that. Cause no. How is that fucking fair? <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, that was uh, the point of Dave Chappelle's special, um, his most recent one, right? Because he was saying basically like, you know, like the LGBTQ community is off limits because there are white enforcers of these um, uh, off limits things. And that is basically still white supremacy. Mm. That's that's a that's a great point. Um, are you guys a fan of the show um, Blackish? I haven't seen it. I've seen a f- I've seen some of it. Um, I think it's pretty good from what I've seen. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, after it, it gets better and better every year. Oh, great! Yeah, it's amazing. You know, one episode dealt with this uh, white privilege among uh, underrepresented groups. So basically, this um, a group of white women they want to have a women's rights group. Uh, they were like, oh, we're, we're earning only 75 cents on the dollar that men makes. And then uh, this uh, a black woman said, oh, yeah, and we're only making 60 cents of every dollar a white man makes. And the, uh, these other white women started to feel uncomfortable. Oh, this is women's rights group. Let's not bring race into this. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. it's a pretty, pretty edgy show, you know. And that's why I keep... Uh, banging on the subject of uh, Asian American narratives. If you watch mm-hmm. Blackish, they talk about Asian American history, the, uh, the social issues all the time, and the show is great. It's hilarious. Wait, Blackish talks about Asian American history. Oh, no, no, black Black Americans. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That's, See, that's, that's interesting thing. because that came out kind of around the same time as Fresh Off the Boat, right? Yeah, yeah. That's I why think they have I the same feel... like but, adjacent so time plot too. Yeah, so I, did, I haven't really watched either of them, but from the reviews, uh, Inku Khan from Slate, she had a really good review of Fresh Off the Boat that was saying how uh, the early seasons were really interesting and dug into, you know, like stories and characters much better. But over the years, the narratives on that show have gotten terrible like way worse you know every single episode is basically the mom doing something weird and stupid or mean and then uh her getting owned or something like that and it's just like like our narratives like like the most mainstream um broad narrative that we had like it didn't get better it just got worse and now it's gone whereas the blackish narrative if what you're saying is true as i haven't seen it sorry <laughs> but it sounds like it's getting better there's more progress there and like there's more erasure of like actual asian experiences um uh and and that is being traded in for like this um these shitty uh two-dimensional stereotypes is that what you're saying? I mean, I don't know. Yes. Um, I, the reason I was talking about uh, Asian narratives is also because I compared these two shows, Blackish versus Fresh Out the Boat. In Blackish, there's so much African uh, American history, uh, African American experience, real experiences. Sometimes they even jump out of the plot line to reenact some of the historical moments. 
it, it was just great. But with uh, Fresh Out the Boat, uh, it's just more and more like another sitcom. You know, it, it's losing its flavor. Uh, and, and, and one reason it's losing its flavor is probably because the Asian American narrative is not widely accepted by the general public. Um, I'm not sure if they did it on purpose, but I suspect that could be one of the reasons. Because the, uh, this is my own experience. You know, if a, a black person talks about racism, everybody agrees. If an Asian person talks about racism, a lot of people are like, oh, not you too. You know, they, they kind of deny the Asian experience, Asian experience. Just kind of, you know, brush it aside. And that's a huge problem. And, and that problem is caused by the lack of Asian voices and Asian political representatives. Um, I still remember back in the, in the mid nineties, uh, Jesse Jackson went to Hollywood and he basically just said, why are there no African American, uh, Oscar winners for so many years? And lo and behold, uh, within two, three years, you know, we had Holly Berry, Jamie Foxx, you know, a lot of them start to get Academy Awards. So politics uh, works because they drive the narrative through people's minds. And uh, Asian Americans don't have it yet. That's why a lot of the Asian shows keep failing, just because deep down, it's not taking roots in people's hearts and minds. You know, that, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think I agree with you. I totally agree with you. But I think I, I think the problem is, um, well, I'm not saying this is the root problem, but this is a problem within the chain, which is I, I, I personally feel that a lot of Hollywood Asians are just they're just shitty. Like they're just so they're just they, they, ha they always make an excuse to say, like, if I don't make compromises, if I don't play to white expectations, then you're not going to have any representation. And if you don't have any representation, isn't it better to have like, you know, this than nothing? And sometimes I'm like, no, I honestly I would rather have nothing than a lot of the, the shitty things that I've seen Asian Americans do. And I feel like there is this this inescapable problem whenever we try and go up through white uh in, in like media institutions like nbc or was it abc that did it um <clears throat> invariably we have to make a shitload of compromises invariably like whatever but the asian american this is my problem is that asian american people as a market we just want representation. We just want to see our faces. We want to see famous Asians. We want to see rich Asians. We want to see crazy rich Asians. We want to see us be included. That's what we want. We want to see us be part of the party. And we don't really give a shit what they say. We don't really care what, you know. And I've noticed, I mean, and this is true, honestly, even of like Ronnie Chang and honestly true of even Ali Wong, is fundamentally they're playing to white audiences. Fundamentally speking, when you see that's how, uh, oh my God, you, 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 mm. you make me feel bad. <laughs> That's like, this is something that I, as a performer, struggle with all the time. Uh, white people are, are the, the dominant race in America. You know, my comedy has to kind of play into, into them as well. And uh, part of me feel bad about it. And part of me thinks, feel it's worth it. It's, uh, it's a constant struggle within myself, you know. 
I'm glad you pointed this out because not a lot of people notice this or feel this way. I want to don't want to set up the inference though that it's it, you can simply gen write for an Asian audience because I don't even know what that means to be honest. A lot of times, Asian audiences have the same expectations of white pe that white audiences do, like um, you know, like when my husband and I do um more political content, a lot of times, like a Asian audience will be yeah. more uncomfortable than a white audience. So there's there's a lot, you know, you can blame um, like uh, the Hollywood Asians, but like the general public is kind of like that, you know? And like, just look at how subtle a Asian traits and, um, you know, that whole collection of like Asian Facebook groups have changed. Like when they first came out, they had some some good discussions on there but more and more it's just become a space where people post memes about boba <laughs> and kind of they like invite a lot yeah, of white yeah. people in and they take up a lot of space and everyone it just caters to uh their their interests which are you know like <clears throat> food memes or like memes shitting on your parents <clears throat> yeah and I think, you know, Ron, Ronnie Chen, his special was interesting because he sets up this notion of the Asian uh, sort of referee saying, like, essentially, you're looking, this is, I mean, he doesn't really understand America very well, but like, he's like, essentially, there's like this, it's black versus white in America, and you need Asians to referee this fight, and I can be impartial. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, really, the whole series sounded like it was patronizing to black people. And that it was essentially appealing to white people. I didn't feel like he really accomplished this notion of the objective neutral Asian. I think that that whole conception is flawed, though interesting. Uh, I think Andrew Yang operates no, off the I, same I, basis. And I it's, disagree. You know, I don't think I don't think Ronnie Chan. I mean, I think that that um, that bit. That's a white stereotype of Asians, and he is playing into that stereotype in order mm -hmm, to have yeah. an opinion. And I, yes, and I've seen a lot of Asians do it. I know Wes Yang had specifically written about this, that he felt that that was the future role for Asian Americans who are in and of themselves meaningless and, you know, whatever. But we can serve this interesting sort of neutral observer of what ails America. I'm like, no, you're just going to, you know what you're going to end up doing. Yeah. And I know what Wes Yang's doing, that. which is essentially writing a pass to all mm -hmm. the fucked up shit that like, you know, alt-right white people are thinking. And everyone knows that about him, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew Yang does that too with math. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you're not a math robot. You're Andrew Yang. And look, if you, if you listen closely to Ali Wong's sets, she is very political about her experiences as a woman. But when it comes down to her Asian jokes, they are very stereotypical and lazy. And it's like they might be true of her as an individual, um, but they're still Asian stereotypes, you know? And so I feel like the political perspective is you know of all these people is like the asian political perspective is still the weakest of any of these people absolutely if you think you can walk into american the the history and racial history of america and the politics the racial politics of america and be like oh yeah 
I, as an Asian American, am going to adjudicate this. Uh, you pretty much fucked it up right there by thinking that, like, you could just walk in <laughs> and think that you could solve this issue through, okay, well, the white people have some points and the black people have some points. Let's uh, call it a draw. I mean, it's this really weird and I feel ridiculous and pro-white. When it comes down to it, it's a pro-white conception. To think that you can... It is. It's, it's totally ahistorical. It's ahistorical to think that this is some fight it. between equals and like we can, you know, we can come in and adjudicate it. Like, the fuck, you know? Um, but, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a current no, fantasy like, and delusion that we're totally operating erases, under. So, you know. It totally erases Asian history in the U.S., right? Because, like, railroad workers, they established the first unions, you know, workers' unions, and they got compens like they got better compensation, you know, because of that. There were a lot of uh, legal cases that they won to gain rights back from um, racist, uh, leg- like like racist laws at like the state level and at the national level. And there were Asian feminists during the suffrage movement. Oh yeah, well. Those are those are great points, you know. Like, uh, yeah, to 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 be honest, when uh, African African Americans first came up, they were considered as outsiders too, you know. They're not supposed to take sides, but I guess Asian Americans, and I don't know, it's, it is stereotype. But if you look at China, it, China is, is quite practical about certain things they just do their job without taking sides so i think that that is part of the chinese but then uh not all asians are like that yeah i i think it comes down to this idea that asians are always asian americans are are constant we're trying we're, we're like we have middle child syndrome when it comes to our racial identities and i feel like we're always looking for peace and we're always trying to broker peace and and we're always trying to be you know level-headed and and magnanimous and all this stuff and you know and the reality is like that's smokescreen that's just smokescreen i think that and we're useful usually for white people um by bringing this sensibility of like look there's an in-between that we can find here like there's a there's a there's there's a like we can we can we can make this work guys we can make this work and I feel like that's ultimately useful to the side that has power. This belief that it's a fight among equals is always yeah, useful to the side with power because it's it's so useful to power to to reconceptualize this fight where like essentially it is, you know, be, between the whole problem is it's between unequals, right? It's a whole problem is that one side has been totally subordinated to the other um in in all dimensions. For someone to come in and then say that, you know, this is this is a a fair fight. We just need some adults in the room. You know, we need an Andrew Yang in the room or whatever is only useful to the side that has the power. Um, and, and I just don't think like we bring that power analysis into the way we do things um, because I think we've gotten so comfortable serving it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. What kind of have to remember, you know, it's. It's basically a joke, you know. It's an observation and, and it's a joke. Um, but uh, I think I, I used to do this joke too, you know. Basically, uh, the Asian Amer- Americans uh, wouldn't enjoy white privilege, 
and we don't benefit from affirmative action either. So whenever there is a racial riot, Asian convenience stores get looted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I think that mm-hmm. that story it just kind of uh, reflects Asian American existence. You know, we even though a lot of us try not to take sides. <laughs> But we we still get looted. We still yeah. we still get robbed. We're, yeah. we're still be underprivileged. Yeah, that's yeah no, I think what is more accurate, like uh, we're not even here to adjudicate anything. We're just here to take punches from everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's more accurate. Instead of you know having some kind of godlike existence and observe and adjudicate things, we don't have any power. That's the problem. Mm. You know? Yeah, no. I mean, we, we're we're useful. I think I think a lot of times our our faces are used um, to sort of like diversify the the um, the occasion um, to sort of bring a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of pizzazz, a little bit of spice to it to say like, look, this ain't just white people thinking this. These Asian people think this too. <laughs> you know, and uh, and I, and I sometimes wonder, do we actually think that, or do we, is it because we 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 are looking for some role to play? And if we are useful to someone in this country, it just makes us feel that much more secure. Um, and I don't want to bust on that. Like, I don't want to just be like, okay, like Asian people are just like morally deficient people in this country. No, I think it is, it's hard to um, come to grips with what's actually going on. Um, it's not a comforting thing to know about, but it, you know, once you see the pattern, you can't not see the pattern. It's so clear. Uh, and I think a lot of times for the individual Asian American, you know, and it's, I, I don't fault them. Well, I do, but I, I, I shouldn't, but I would say that, yeah, I mean, ultimately sometimes the smartest decision we can make for ourselves is just to go along. I mean, it's not going to, you know, for, for the, for, for, for your personal benefit and your family and stuff, it doesn't really help, you know, to, um, to, rock the boat so to speak and that's how you get big netflix does it deals, though you know? i mean yeah well that's, i think short term that's true but like having no power is never a good long-term strategy i, um, I, I agree no, with that's true. on this account yeah. you know the, yeah because mm-hmm. uh, the longer you push it aside um because uh, america is a country where you have to really speak really loud otherwise people ignore you uh, and, uh, and some people have to speak first. That, that's the reality. So um, I remember when I was working in biotech, a lot of times whenever, whenever there's a layoff, vast majorities of the uh, vast majority of the workers who got laid off are Asians. You know, Asian American or Asians from Asia. They got laid off left and right, but just because they don't usually complain. Just go ahead and find another job. I mean, it's it's convenient for them to take it and find another job, but in the long run, it just, your job security is just so much worse. You know, so yeah, I, I think Eddie right. Wong had, think, meant, um, had said the same thing when when he had yeah. come out. Yeah, when, when he yeah. Had come out. yeah, and like so if, you, Wong, if you, um, I bet if you look at generational wealth, um, like for Asian Americans and for all people of color in America, it's way less stable than for white Americans. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not totally sure. I didn't see a lot of statistics about it, but um, 
it's just that one thing I, I just know that, you know, in America, if you see a successful Asian American, it's, it's not by any luck. It's just, just by hard work. <laughs> no. uh, it's, uh, it's, if you see a, a successful white guy, you know, he could be pretty me- mediocre, but he still, you know, can get the wealth. So that's, that's the main difference, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's, there's a lot of selection bias too, right? Because um, like a, even in comedy, you know, like uh, a white guy comedian can just go to open mics five days a week and be mediocre for years and years and feel comfortable in that social safety net um, and just like shit on women and minorities and tell shitty jokes for years until he gets good. But if you're a, especially if you're an Asian person, but I, no, I think, I think this is true of like, you know, every underrepresented, um, identity. Like you, you basically have to be, um, you know, like knocking it out of the park from your first set. Otherwise, nobody's going to take you seriously. Nobody's going to uh, invite you for a drink or like talk to you even. Um, you, you're basically like, you have to start out at a hundred to, to even be included, to even be in that space. So there's no room for failure. There's no room for mediocrity. Yeah. Um, I, I have similar experience. I remember literally a couple of days before I got on the Letterman show, that was when I did stand-up comedy for seven and a half years and I headlined some shows. But still... I have to go to some resort and open for a guy who just did stand-up comedy like six weeks, you know. But but he gets along with the the club, the booker better, I guess. So I just have to go and open for him. Just, uh, there's a lot of those stuff. So with a minority, you just have to work a lot harder. You know, I know it's a cliche, but it's also the reality. So. Yeah, there's just no uh, level playing field. So it's it's bullshit to to pretend like there is. Yeah, I mean, I suspect that the angrier angrier you all get, the more. I mean, is there an Asian American like co- comedy community now? Is that do do do? Yeah, there's a little one in yeah. Boston now. There's one in New York too. I think in L.A. I'm not sure. But can I assume all the famous, you know, all the well, the, the, the headliner level people all know each other? Like a Ronnie Chang knows an Ali Wong, knows a Joe Wong, knows, uh, knows an Eddie Huang, knows uh, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it all like everyone's doing their own thing now? It's, it's somewhere in between. You know, I know some of them, but then even though I, I never met Eddie Huang, I know who he is. I kind of know his work. You know, that's what Asian, Asian comedians are like, you know. Even though we never met, we kind of know each other. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I mean, like L.A. and New York are pretty big towns. It's hard to know everybody. It is one of the yeah. things that, like, us just running this, like, you know, little plan A is, like, one of the positive things about Asian Americans that I find very positive is how accessible we make ourselves to each other. I've been pretty surprised at how, you know, Asian Americans are really quite open now to talking to other Asian Americans um, about about um, racial topics, of all things. And 
that I find is, has been a very positive change of the past. The oh, big, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, for I, sure. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I remember the, uh, 12, 11, 12 years ago, I asked an Asian American, oh, you know, well, you're called Asian slurs when you grew up. He said, no, no, there's no racism. There's just some stereotypes. I'm like, dude, you know, I was in America a lot shorter than you, and I, I heard racial slurs hurled at me quite a few times. You know, just, right. It's got it's to happen to every Asian person for sure. You don't have to deny it, you know. But yeah. in the past, they feel that, oh, if I talk about it, you know, it just makes makes me feel bad or something but now they're more open now so i think that's that's the progress the progress for us i think other other people see asian americans complaining about um racism and they're like oh my god more identity politics this country's going down the shitter uh you know uh, social media is turning everyone into little red guards oh i can't even make fun of chinese food anymore and i'm like all right all right but yeah, yeah. i know but those are usually white people though you know exactly yeah. always fucking white people Oh, oh yeah, I know. Just and like, Asians, that's the thing. There's a, some Asians complain about it too. Like, oh, all of a sudden we Asians are complaining. We're we're being like losers now and complaining about racism. You know, <laughs> like so. Well, I mean, there's a spectrum of how colonized we all are, right? Yeah, so that's true. Yeah. Um. All right. So we are about an hour in. Um. Um. Oh, Joe, you should promote your fundraiser. Yeah, well, first of all, the, the fundraiser is uh, next Thursday, January 16th in San Francisco. Uh, you can go on my website, you know, go on my Twitter or uh, Brian Yang's Twitter. There's some details uh, as to where, where and when. To be honest, I just know it's in San Francisco, but I've, I'm not familiar with the city. <laughs> <laughs> all, all my shows are like that, too. I, I know where I have to be when and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you can go on my Twitter to look it up. Uh, I, I heard it's getting a lot of momentum right now, so it, it could be a really fun event. I heard the location is great. They have a really good food. Uh, Andrew Ang will be there, and I'll be there too. So the goal is to bring sexy back. You know, that's that's my slogan. Uh huh. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, come through San Francisco. Yes, and make sure you donate your money to the campaign, because uh, your money is no good buying other stuff, right? You know, you buy a beanbag. You know, you have to get rid of it in a garage sale in a few years. But, but if you donate to a, a good campaign, it's a good story to tell. Yeah, right? look, things don't mean shit unless you put some money up. Let's face it. All right, like you, you sit back, you could, you could, you could um, be all happy, you could be all positive. But until you front a little bit of cash, it's the only really currency that really means much right now in America, unfortunately. So that and that that and eff- actual human effort, but that's that, that's even harder to come by. Uh, <laughs> money is a great substitute. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's great. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, and thank you guys for doing Plan A, and, uh, you know, I think we have a, a lot of things in common, and uh, I love the vision you guys are having, so, you know, hopefully we're going to do oh, more Oh, thanks for that, Joe. That means a lot. That yeah, means a lot. thank you. Yeah, a, a lot of the uh, things that you mentioned, um, those are things that we want to cover uh, if we haven't already, so, wow, we're, we're happy that... Um, you're validating. So us, validated. Basically. So so validated. <laughs> All right. Okay. 
Well, All I, right. I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Okay, that is another episode of Escape from Plan A. Thank you so much, uh, Joe Wong, for coming on again. And thank you, listeners, for uh, continuing to listen. Um, Please support our Patreon if you like what you've heard. And even if you don't want to put your money where your mouth is, um, please rate us on iTunes and Spotify and uh, leave a comment if you have something to say. All right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.